Welcome back. Hope you guys had a good weekend, NBC Sunday. We're, uh, we're going to spend a little time in the Word this morning. Um, we'll be in Matthew 16, so if you want to turn there, we'll, we'll end up there eventually, Lord willing. <laughs> Who knows when I'm up here. <clears throat> Amen. Thanks, Joel. Uh, last semester, uh, Jim, I was in Jim's office and we were talking and, and just sharing uh, some thoughts about discipleship and the discipleship program. And, and Jim said, well, we need to have a chapel. We need to have a chapel where you're up speaking about discipleship. And, uh, and so that's what I, I want to speak about this morning. And, and hopefully I'll be able to, to bring it around to that, um, time permitting. Um, but uh, I'm going to approach it from a little different perspective. Uh, perhaps one you've heard from me before, uh, perhaps one that you've encountered in some of your other classes, but definitely worth revisiting. So, <clears throat> um, if you guys have had any classes, which most of you had, uh, had, had any classes with me, uh, you will know that uh, I will eventually quote from John 6, specifically John 6.29, where Jesus speaking to the crowd and his disciples says uh, to the crowd and his disciples, the work of God is this. The work that God requires from us is this. To believe in the one he has sent. Um, the Bible makes it clear that there, are, uh, there is more to belief than simply your thoughts. But believing at least includes how and what you think about. And how and who you think about. Uh, A.W. Tozer, which I noticed this was in the library as a uh, reserve reading, so you guys have probably read this, but great book uh, to go back to. Tozer says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He says, For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God Himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but we, what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, were we able uh, to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might be, we might be able to predict with certainty the spiritual future of the man. Um, I, don't, I don't know if Tozer had any particular passage of Scripture in mind when he, he penned this, uh, but if he did, my, my hunch is that he would have Matthew 16 in mind. So uh, let's turn there real quick. Matthew 16, we're going to be in verses uh, 13 through 20, although we won't make it much past verse 16. Um, <clears throat> and it reads, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven." I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth 
shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Jesus, in this uh, passage here, uh, he's coming off of uh, feeding of the 4,000 in chapter 15. The end of 15, he feeds 4,000 men besides women and children. So he's been in the midst of the crowd. He's been busy in ministry. Uh, The beginning of chapter 16, he has an encounter, another confrontational encounter, uh, as was common for him by now. He has another confrontational encounter with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, questioning who he is, what he's about, uh, and the claims that he makes. So Jesus uh, takes his disciples and he goes to the region of Caesarea Philippi. So he heads north, about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, where he performed uh, the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. So he's, he's far north. He's, he's kind of removed himself uh, from the ministry in lower Galilee uh, and Judea. So he's, he's up north and he's got the disciples by himself. Uh, it is now two years into Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, for two years, the disciples have been living eating, traveling, and ministering with Jesus. They have seen Him work miracles, heal the sick, and teach with authority. They have heard what the popular and not-so-popular opinion of Jesus was from the crowds and the religious elite. Now Jesus has brought them north out of the hustle and bustle of the crowds and beyond the willing reach of the religious leaders into the uh, pagan district of Caesarea Philippi. It is here that Jesus asks his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? In other words, what do people think of me? The disciples relay the the masses' opinions uh, that he could be John the baptizer. Uh, This was Herod's opinion as well, and apparently it didn't uh, just abide with, with Herod. The people bought into, well, maybe you're John the Baptist resurrected even. Maybe you're, you're John the Baptist carrying on his message, the message of repentance. Uh, the idea with John the Baptist then is you're, you're preparing the way. Jesus may be the prophet that's preparing the way for the coming Messiah. Perhaps that's who you are. Maybe you're one of the, uh, the prophets of old. Maybe you're Elijah. Uh, again, thinking back to the ministry of, of the one that is uh, going to call out as a voice in the desert. One like Elijah. Uh, maybe that's who you are. Or maybe you're uh, Jeremiah coming in the, in the uh, prophetic nature of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who ministered during, during Judah's distress in their fall. Perhaps that's who you are. Uh, still others, perhaps uncertain or unwilling com- to commit, said he was one of the prophets uh, breaking over the 400 years of silence. Uh, bringing forth the Word of God in both word and deed. Jesus, however, is unconcerned about the popular opinion, for His purpose of inquiry seems to become apparent in his, uh, in, the, in his next more direct question. As He turns to the disciples and He says, But you, who do you say that I am? What do you think of Me? Who am I to you? You've been walking with Me for two years. Who do you say that I am? Jesus still asks disciples today that question. Who do we say that He is? In discipleship, the question we need to continually hold before us is, who do we, as disciples of Jesus, say that He is? P. 
Peter, through divine inspiration, declares, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is obvious that Peter does not fully understand the implications to his statement because six verses later, uh, Jesus has to rebuke Peter for thinking like Satan. Discipleship has to do with more uh, has to do more with what we believe than what we do for what we do as disciples of Jesus reveals what we truly believe about him and as a result about ourselves um, for those of you that that know uh, I'm taking a, a seminary class uh, a class actually on discipleship uh, which has been good for me forcing me to uh, think through some of the issues that uh, we we talk about in DLab for those of you that haven't been in DLab uh, you, will, you will see here uh, in the next years or so uh, what we're going to be talking about and unpacking this idea of who Jesus is and what truly discipleship is. One of the assignments that I, I did, which uh, I kind of took it a little bit further than what he asked because I've wanted to do this for myself for a while, is, is unpack discipleship from the Old Testament perspective. Something you don't hear much of, uh, something that's not talked much of is What does discipleship have to do with in the Old Testament? Um, Walter Kaiser, uh, for those of you that were in um, my Old Testament class, he has suggested that one can follow the thread of God's threefold promise plan. God's threefold promise plan being His presence, God's people, and His place throughout the Old Testament. Doing so helps helps shed a light on God's intentional purpose with history. God is going somewhere with history. He's intentional with it. We are told in the beginning that God created a place. First through uh, general creation, then earth, and then with, on earth He created a place, the garden. Uh, and He fills it with many good things, chief of which is a people. Uh, namely Adam and Eve, for himself, among whom his presence dwells. His people reject his presence, and Yahweh casts them from his place, the garden, and his presence in judgment and in mercy. His people become not his people, and they continually turn from his presence. Eventually God calls a person, person, Abram, and promises to make him into a nation of people and establishes for him and his descendants a place to be the land of Canaan, where God's presence will dwell with them. So begins the legacy of Yahweh's covenant relationship with the patriarchs. Despite rebellion, God eventually delivers his people from bondage and leads them into his promised land, the land of Canaan. His presence dwells with them in various ways along the the journey, a pillar of smoke smoke and fire, uh, the covenant laws, and his prescribed tabernacle, which eventually becomes the temple a symbol of Yahweh's presence among His people in His place for them. Again, His people rebel against His presence and reject God as their king. Instead, they ask for a king of their own likeness, one one like the surrounding nations. God grants their request first in judgment through the wickedness, the wicked reign of Saul, and then in mercy through the righteous reign of King David, a man after God's own heart. As David... uh, David, as the Lord's uh, uh, anointed one, represents God's person among his people to lead and shepherd them. David faithfully brings the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence within his presence, to Jerusalem. Solomon, David's son, is granted divine permission to erect the temple, the place where the Ark of his presence was to dwell among his people. 
And he brings it to the temple, the place of his presence among his people so that they can worship him uh, in his presence. So God's place under David, God's place, uh, the ten- or, I'm sorry, God's place of uh, Palestine, of Canaan, God has established the place for him. And within that place, he established a home uh, for his temple, his presence to dwell. And his, his presence dwells within the temple, uh, represented through the Ark of the Covenant where His people can now come and stand in His presence. Through further rebellion and apostasy, God's people reject God's presence and are exiled once again from God's place uh, from them. In judgment, God uses nations that are not His people to not only exile His his people, but consume uh, His place and destroy the temple, the heart of the Israelites, and the symbol of God's abiding presence among His people. Yet in His mercy, God uh, promises through His prophets that He will again rise up an anointed one who will once again restore His people in His place among His presence. After 70 years of exile, it seems like God is going to bring that about. He brings the people back. They rebuild the temple, yet it pales in comparison to its former glory. This leaves the people to wonder, is God done with us? Is this it? Are we on our own? Has He forsaken us? And yet the prophets of old uh, say, God's not done with you yet. God's not finished. Then one starry night in a lowly manger in the forgotten town of Bethlehem, God's threefold promise plan converges into one. In Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. In Him dwells all the fullness of of the deity. In Him, the Word becomes flesh and tabernacles among men. Excuse me. In him is the true and better Adam. God's threefold promise plan converges in the God man, Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel, God's presence among us. Jesus is God's anointed one, his person. In Jesus is the true and better tabernacle, it's God's place. Jesus is the threefold promise plan. History is going somewhere, and that somewhere is the fulfillment of God's threefold promise plan in Jesus. So you may be asking, well, how does this relate to discipleship? I think the answer to that is uh, what we find in Matthew 16, where Jesus turns to his disciples, those that had been following him, and he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You hear what all the other people say. You hear what the popular opinion is. You hear what the religious leaders say I am. But you've spent time with me. You've walked with me. You've eaten with me. You've struggled with me. You've ministered with me. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, uh, through the divine inspiration of, of God, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So much of discipleship is not about so much of what we do, but it's what we believe. Do we believe that Jesus is the promised one? And belief has more to do than just what we think and the theology that we're learning here, which is really good. But if we, if we acted on half of what we knew, how much would our lives be different? I know for me, if I, if I lived true to all that I knew and understood my life would look very different. And Jesus says the work of God is this. 
for each one of us, no matter what stage you are in your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus, no matter if you've, you've never encountered Him before, no matter if you've been walking for years, says the work of God is this, to believe more and more and more and more in the One He has sent. That's the call of discipleship. Not to believe more in me. Not to believe more that this world is, is, is at my own uh, disposal. But to believe that it's all about Him. Everything is more of a chance of knowing Him. And the deal is, discipleship has to be done in community. It has to be done in community. When left by ourselves, we will always turn towards us. We'll always turn back towards us. I need other people to get me outside of myself. But most of all, I need those that have loved the Lord and continue to love the Lord and continue to seek in believing in Him more and more and more to help me believe in a way I never could. And this is the heart of discipleship. To believe in the one that He has sent. And that is what we're about here at NBC. I hope that your time here, you guys are learning a lot of great things, um, <clears throat> probably a lot of new things, and that's amazing. And that's what uh, I love about Bible college education. It stretches you to move beyond yourself. But what are you believing? I was in uh, Clyde Park yesterday uh, afternoon for their service there, and, and I shared with them <clears throat> a... Uh, a devotion. So we ask you guys, especially freshmen, we ask you guys to come into the chapel and spend time in the Word. We ask you and trust that you upperclassmen are spending time in the Word every day. Sometimes, if you're like me, sometimes you're spending time in the Word, you're teaching the Word, you're involved in the Word, you're hearing the Word at church. Sometimes the danger is it can become routine. It can become routine. And, and I'm saying this as one who teaches in the classes. It can become routine. I can get up in the morning and get into the Word. And there's a danger about that. There's a real danger. Because when I, I can find myself uh, just reading through what I need to read through on my plan to get through Scripture in a, in a year. Be like, okay, there, I've done it. Rather doing, than doing the hard work of believing more in Him. And... Uh, I was reading through uh, Mark 10, and it was a simple, simple verse. 10.1, it, it talks about Jesus uh, was among the people, and He began to teach. And, and it struck me, Jesus began to teach. I thought, man, I would love to have been one of those people that sat at Jesus' feet. Can you imagine that? I was, uh, yesterday I was watching some, some clips, because it's 2015, uh, what is it, 20 years? No, yeah, 30 years? I don't even remember. Uh, whenever Back to the Future came out. But he, he comes to 2015, huh? 1985. Okay, there you go. 1985, whenever. I should know that. I watched it yesterday. Um, and there's, there's a scene in the first movie where he's with Doc Brown. Uh, the DeLorean comes out, steam, smoke, all this great stuff. It was a DeLorean. That was awesome. Doors, anyway. If you haven't seen it, you should. <clears throat> and uh, Doc Brown comes out, does the whole send the dog Einstein into the future a minute, and then they come back and he starts explaining to uh, Marty. Is that his name? Marty? Okay. 
I did. I'm not. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Joel. He's explaining to him. Um, he's explaining to him the uh, the workings of the machine, the time machine, and he says, "Where would you go?" And he starts typing in different numbers, and one of them is the birth of Christ. And I thought, you know, that question to me, where would I go? Man, I would love to have sat at the feet of Jesus. You know, and to sit at his feet and to hear him teach, to hear him declare truth. Man, that would have been amazing. You know, and, and as I was meditating on that in one of my in a devotion, I was just thinking through that verse. You know, to sit at the feet of the one who we're told spoke creation into being. You know, he, he spoke or he even whispered and the stars ignited. He spoke and the oceans filled and the rocky mountains rose. He spoke and there was. And he's teaching the people. Man, how powerful is that? To have sat under that. And he spoke new creation into the hearts of men and women. He spoke like no one had ever heard before. To sit at his feet. Man, that's powerful. Now, as I was thinking about that, the Lord kind of struck me to the heart and he said, Micah, I haven't stopped speaking new creation of the hearts of men and women. That's what this is. The word became flesh and it dwelt among us and it still is dwelling among us. And yet it dwells within us through his spirit. Too often, though I know him, I act as though I don't. I spend time in the Word and I let the Word just pass me by rather than spending time in the Word and letting the Word dwell in me. The challenge to us as disciples of Christ is to say, do we know Him today? And what does that look like? Do you believe in Him today? How do you know? What does that look like? Do you hunger for more of Him today? The danger of Bible college, and I, I used to say this at MDUB, uh, there is a danger at being a Bible college because you can become inoculated to the things of God. You can hear it so much that it just becomes like, yeah, yeah, I know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got that. I had to memorize that verse. I had to know that doctrine. That was on one of my tests. Yeah, I know that. I passed that class. And yet the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done, is never old. In fact, the more we dig and the further we get along, the more precious it becomes to us. Because we learn to believe in a way that we never could have before. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. As Bible college students, as disciples of Jesus Christ. Will you do the hard work of believing more in Him today? What will that look like in your life today? And it's not a burden to do the hard work of believing. It's an invitation, to, an invitation of intimacy. And it's exciting. Because each day holds a new way that God is going to show Himself to you. And say, come to me. Find your rest. Abide in me. Remain in me. Will you do the hard work of believing in Him? Will you do the hard work of discipleship? 
both with each other and in yourself. That's the Lord's call to us. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this morning. I thank you uh, for this time that you have given us to spend uh, just looking into your word. Lord, I pray that you would preach your gospel to our hearts today. Lord, that you would give us um, minds to understand, ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to believe. That, Lord, our lives would be lived out uh, through authentic um, expression of that belief that you have implanted in us. God, may your gospel, may the truth of who you are, Jesus, may it never grow old. Lord, would you make us a desperate people, desperate for you, desperate for your word. Would you make us a hungry people that are only satisfied when we feast with you. We thank you, Lord, that it is finished. You have accomplished it all. And now you have called us to come and enjoy with our master all the good things that your reward has gained. Help us to understand what even this means and to live it out in fullness and in righteousness in your name. Amen.